amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? We thank you, O oh God, for being so loving and so caring and so concerned with the details and the challenges of our lives. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Bible, the Word of God. And now as we come in this moment where we get to worship you in a corporate way as the body, as the local church, we thank you that now you desire to speak a word to us. We've done our best to sing to you and bless you because you're worthy. And now, God, we sit with anticipation for what you want to say to us. I don't know why you've ordained it this way, that you choose to use clay vessels, broken vessels like myself, to communicate your word to your people. But I thank you that you can override every inability, every shortcoming that I have to communicate each morsel that the people of God need to have today. So Holy Spirit, be our teacher, be our preacher. And when we hear the word, give us the strength and the desire to put it into practice. Break yokes today, set us free with the truth. For we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. As we were singing, and we were talking about running to the Lord. Oh, I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. As we sang that, I thank the Lord for something that we learned in Israel. Because there are times where we can't muster enough energy and strength to run to God. But it's always good to know that the Father runs to us. He runs to us. He runs after us. He desires intimacy with us. and He'll slay the best lamb. He'll give you his best robe of righteousness to cover you. He'll have a feast for you because he loves you. He loves me. He loves us. That's who we worship. As Kathleen said, our God is love. And he demonstrated love through sacrificing himself to save us, to set us free. Because he thought we were worth it. And he came and died. My God, why can't we worship a God like that? Why can't we bless his holy name? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. The Apostle Paul writes, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. 
Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So give me a moment today to speak on the subject of thankful for a thorn. Thankful for a thorn. As Bible readers and teachers and scholars alike come to this particular passage of Scripture, so often much attention is made about trying to determine what the Apostle Paul's thorn was. And no one can be quite sure what his thorn was. But still, there are volumes in our libraries today trying to determine what his thorn was that he spoke of in this powerful passage, this thorn in the flesh. But since we don't know for sure what his thorn was, let me suggest this to you as we get into this passage. Rather than trying to determine what the thorn was, let us look at and glean from what this thorn produced in his life. So rather than trying to know what it was, let's all look at what it produced. And it produced a harvest of righteousness in his life. The thorn, which came from Satan, but allowed by God, was to bring about spiritual growth in Paul's life. A thorn is something in your life that is extremely painful and long-lasting. Let me say that again. A thorn is something that is extremely painful in your life, and it is long-lasting. A thorn comes at you from the outside in. A thorn is something that pricks you, that sticks you, that irritates you, that exacerbates you, and gets on your last evangelical nerve. (laughs) It just won't go away. You think about this thorn. You talk about this thorn. You dream about this thorn. You pray about this thorn. You cry about it. You complain about it. And you even sometimes curse about it. But I'm not going to ask for a witness. The pain from the thorn is so bad that it increases your prayer life. And already, that's a good thing. Anything in my life that moves me towards God, that shows me my need to depend on him because my independence falls short. Anything that causes me to look to him for help is a good thing. And so we're going to see that a thorn really can be a blessing in disguise. You see, God, when Paul asked to take this thorn away, 
The Lord answered Paul's prayer. And we know there are at least three ways that God can answer every prayer, and that is yes, no, or wait. Yes, no, or wait. And when Paul began to plead to God to take this pain away, this long-lasting, excruciating pain away, the Lord did not answer yes. And when we look at the passage, it seems that he either answered no or not now. And in the midst of that, Paul is going to adjust himself to the will of God. Because our loving God has a way of leaving the thorn in. I said he's a loving God. And sometimes when he deals with it, it doesn't feel like love, but it is. Uh, who was that that saying hurts so good? Or was that John Mellencamp? Come on, Jesus, make it hurt so good. Oh, my God. He makes it hurt so good. Our loving God leaves the thorn in so that the pain can lead us to an encounter with him and his grace that changes us from the inside out. So there's a purpose in the pain. There's a thesis in the thorn. And God is trying to get us closer to him through the pain. Because you know and I know we don't pray like we ought to when we're feeling good. But when something hurts us, especially if it's an enduring pain, it drives us to the throne of grace. God wants us to discover that the power of grace is greater than the pain of a thorn. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And we know that we have turned the corner spiritually when we can thank God for something that we once agonized about. That's when we're growing, when we can praise him for pain and not just complain or moan about pain. When we can get God's perspective on this thing and we can see that he's a good father who knows what we need, even if it hurts sometime and that there's a purpose in the pain and that this pain has an expiration date. Trouble won't last always and neither will this thorn. So let me trust you, oh God, in the midst of this painful situation but for the sake of discussion let's just talk about what Paul's thorn could have been so that we can get an idea to help us decipher the things that we're dealing with well number one we don't know for sure but his thorn could have been a sickness could have been a sickness now when you read the bible especially the book of Galatians you see Paul hinting to the fact that his eyes are bad that he has to write with large letters, and many times his uh, uh, communication to the churches, someone else had to write down if he was not able to write down. But when he did write, he said he wrote with large letters. Just like sometimes when we can't see, we got to get those Bibles with large print. You know, so Paul said, I don't, I don't see real well, so I write with big letters. And he said that that church was so moved by his situation that they treated him as if he were an angel of God. And if they could have taken their eyes out to give to him, they would have. Some even suggest that Paul's eyesight went bad the day that he was converted. Because when he was on the road to Damascus on his way to persecute Christians as an unbelieving Pharisee, Jesus showed up and the light of God knocked him off of his horse, off of his high horse. And so he was blind, as you recall, for three days with scales on his eyes because he had seen the glory of Jesus. Because he saw the glory of the Lord, his eyes were hurt. And so some say that's when his eye problem began. Again, we don't know for sure, but I do know that there are people in this body who deal with ongoing sicknesses. 
who deal with things that hurt the body and even have a word on their earthly future. Things like cancer. We have people who've been told and given the C word and and, and if you have never been told that, it, it's tough for us to even enter into what that is like when a doctor has to talk with you and say that you have cancer. Some of us deal with high blood pressure and diabetes and depression and HIV and all other kinds of sicknesses because these old tents that we live in are susceptible to pain. They have to be made new for us to go to heaven. This thing, since we were born, has been wearing down. And so we're all susceptible to sickness. And there are people in this body, you've been having a thorn in your flesh called sickness. And sometimes it gets really hard when not only you don't know what it is, but then the people who are supposed to know what it is don't even know what it is. And you've got to trust that God knows what it is. But then Paul also had to deal with a sentence. That could have been his thorn because much of his ministry was spent in jail. He was constantly under the sentence of death and going to jail. And so that could have been his thorn. Uh, Pastor Saeed was just set free uh, yesterday after having served nearly four years in an Iranian prison. And uh, for doing nothing except being a Christian. And he was taken captive there. And I bet every day, I can't wait to read any book that he writes or whatever show he's interviewed in on because I'm sure that there were so many days where he kept asking God, would you free me? Would you free me? Would you free me? He had a thorn called a jail sentence in a hateful nation. And he's wondering if I'll ever see my children again. But Lord, would you free me? Lord, I know he got weary praying. Lord, would you free me? Lord, would you see about me? Would you see about me? But. At some point, praise God, that sentence turned around. Or it could have been a situation. For Paul, he was constantly persecuted, left alone, and even physically assaulted. You know, again, it's hard to even enter into when he talks about how he was shipwrecked and how he was beaten 39 times on five separate occasions how he was even caned, and another time he was stoned. It's hard to even really enter into that, that this man went through so much physical assault. And so when we think about our situation, what we're going through, our situation may be that, man, we have been unemployed for a long, long time, or we are underemployed, and it is a thorn. It is aggravating us. It's irritating us. We don't understand what God is doing. It hurts Anyone that a couple that's gone through the pain of infertility, you know, trying to have a child, trying to have a child, trying to have a child and just cannot have a child. And you begin to explore other options to have a child and you see other people having children who don't even want to have children. And you're like, God, what are you doing? Why, God? Why? And you go through that or people who are in the adoption process. And it is a long, drawn out, hard process, an expensive process. And I know people who are waiting on children right now, and they've been waiting for years to get their children as things are tied up in red tape and bureaucracy with other nations and trying to get those children. It is a thorn, and it hurts. Somebody has a thorn called being unmarried. I am single, and I want to be married. I'm getting older. Lord, this hurts. Then you have people who are in marriage who are unhappily married. And there's a thorn in them because they are unhappily married and they are miserable. There are people going through divorce proceedings right now. And it's a thorn. It hurts. 
There are others going through legal proceedings. Someone is trying to sue you. Someone is involved in a hostile work environment. Somebody's got baby mama drama. And man, it's just a thorn. Somebody's dealing with child support. Can't get the child support money. Trying to pay this car off. Car problems. Financial stress. We got all kinds of situations that God just doesn't fix like that. And he leaves us in it for a minute. And we think if we don't know his heart. We think that he's a cruel taskmaster. Don't you care, as we learned last week when the disciples were in that storm? It's like that's what you do when you're panicking and under a spirit of fear. But no, we do know that he cares. And nothing happens in our lives without his divine approval. So he's up to something when he allows us to suffer through a situation. Or your thorn, if it's not a sickness, a sentence, a situation, it could be a somebody. Lord have mercy. Paul had some somebodies that you would see when he would write from time to time. He would name some people who were trouble to him and to his ministry. And he would call them out and -and so-and-so opposed me. So-and-so resisted me. Beware of so-and-so. So he had various somebodies in his life. Now, in the context of 2 Corinthians, there were some men who had come into the church after he planted it. He went away to another region, and and there were some people who came into the church who uh, Paul calls them super apostles. And these were people who came in, and they discredited Paul, and they put him down, and they questioned his apostolic authority. And so he even, Paul, you know, he's a master with words, and he even goes so far as to say that these men who have crept into this church They really have this doctrine of a Judaistic doctrine, meaning that they're combining grace with law. And and they always would chase Paul around as he preached the gospel of grace. These Judaizers would come and they would uplift law and put down the work of Jesus Christ. You had to have Moses and Jesus. And he was always dealing with these issues and trying to preach the gospel that liberates and sets people free. But even in this church, he said that, you know what, even Satan can masquerade as an angel of light. And it's no wonder that his his ministers do the same thing. And so there were people who were getting on his last nerves. They were obstinate against him, resisting his work. And I know somebody can relate to that because you may say that your spouse is your thorn. He or she used to be your helper, your encouragement, but now they just prick you, just get, or you may say it's your ex-spouse, because y'all still have to talk and get along about the children, and every time you talk to that person, they get on your nerve, and you got stuff coming out of you that you thought Jesus had already dealt with, but stuff just start rising up when you talk to that person. It's a thorn. Your children can get on your last nerves. Your your parents can be like a thorn, always showing up at inopportune times, offering advice that you didn't ask for. Your boss can be a thorn in your side that increases your prayer life. A co-worker can get on your nerves and drive you to Jesus. It used to be to drive you to drink, but at least you know I'm being driven to Jesus now. A neighbor can be a thorn. Your pastor can be a thorn. I just want to, I know. He gets on my nerves sometimes. Your parishioners can be a thorn to the pastor. Uh, he put us together to work it out. 
Your professor can be a thorn. All your teachers are good except that one. That's the one, you know, all the paper is never good enough for this one. It's like, ah, oh, I got an A average A, then that one give me a C. What's up with that? And then last but not least, your president can be a thorn, depending upon your political association. There's some people that when they see certain people, they just, ooh, mm, just get all upset. <laughs> and no matter what that person says or does, it's not good enough for you. It irritates you. You can fry an egg on your head when you see or hear that person. It's a thorn. Or it can be a spirit. Because Paul said that there was a messenger of Satan who was sent to buffet me. So it can be, and as we look at the spirit, let's be very clear. The demonic spirit was not in Paul. No way, no way that a spirit, can, uh, an unclean spirit can enter into a believer when the Holy Ghost lives there. Uh, a demon cannot possess a Christian, but a demon can oppress a Christian. And Paul said that this thing is buffeting me, and that word literally means to beat up. So there's a spirit that was beating on Paul. And many of us, we deal daily with a spirit because we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting spiritual wickedness and forces in high places. So we have to deal with a spirit of fear. And that's very real. Some of us are dealing with a spirit of harlotry. Because we've entered into some generational curses because of what was handed down from grandfather to father. And on to you. And you're dealing with some real things in your family. And there are spirits of harlotry or spirits of alcoholism. Or spirits of perversion and deception. Spirit of drug abuse. There are spirits, spirits, spirits at work. And so we don't know for sure, again, what his thorn was. But we do know that the thorn produced something in his life that was good. So I don't know what your thorn is. And you don't know specifically what mine is or what mine happened to be. But I'm praying that this pain will produce a, 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 a harvest of righteousness for God because I don't want to go through all of this and not see him do something. You see the thorn here. I love this. The thorn led Paul to the throne. The throne led Paul to grace and grace led Paul to victory. I said the thorn led Paul to the throne and made him pray. And when he got to the throne of grace, he received grace and then grace gave him the victory. So let's discover with the time we have left, number one, the reason for the thorn. What's the reason for it? Look at verse seven. He says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So the reason for the thorn, that God allowed it to come, he used the devil to deliver it, but God approved the delivery. The reason it came was because Paul needed to be humbled. He needed to be humbled. Because like a lot of leaders, Paul wrestled with pride. And his pride manifested whenever he sought to prove or defend himself. Let's well, stop and think about this. The same guy that wrote in Romans 12, 3, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. Now, as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in Romans 12, 3, he's also writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Because the one who's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is not the Holy Spirit. He needs the Holy Spirit. He is superintending the writing process, but Paul is a broken vessel that God is working with. 
So as he's writing to the people, just like a preacher encouraging people how to live, he needs to live by the own, his own words as well. Because like the people, the, the leader is a sheep that's also is prone to go astray. So Paul had struggles in his own flesh. And, and the thing about this man, I, I love him because I see so much of myself in him, is that he knows he needs to be humble. But sometimes God has to send some things into our lives to help us get humble. And the thing about Paul, he would say, look now, um, I know I should not be boasting because I'm trying to prove myself to y'all because y'all don't believe in me as an apostle. So, so it would be foolish for me to boast. And then the next few verses, he starts boasting. I, I, and I'm sorry for boasting. Then he starts boasting again because even a great apostle had some insecurities in him where he felt he needed to prove himself to the people. And in the scripture, you see this going back and forth. I'd be a fool if I boasted, but then he started boasting. And whenever you got to boast or prove yourself, it's a sign that you are functioning under pride. But if you can make yourself nothing, as he wrote about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, who made himself of no reputation, it's hard to offend somebody who has no reputation. But Paul, every now and then, just like us, or just like me since I got the mic, we get offended when we shouldn't be offendable. We, we should be of no reputation, but we make ourselves of reputation. <sighs> so he had to be humble. So God is like, mm-hmm, I'm going to help you out a little bit. And I'm going to use this devil to accomplish it. He's going to beat you down in such a way where all you can do is look up and realize where your help comes from. And it comes from God. Because although you go around preaching and although you go around doing miracles, you are still susceptible to the flesh. And you are still susceptible to getting puffed up because you got a lot of knowledge and knowledge puffs up anyway. So I need to deflate you just a little bit because you are a good servant when you're a humble servant. But if you're not a humble servant... Ah, you can't be that effective in my kingdom. So even Paul needed to be humbled. Oh, my. Watch this, Strong Tower. Paul's greatest asset was at times his greatest liability. He had to be strong to do apostolic ministry. You can't do the stuff he was doing and you not be strong. For instance, I mentioned that he had been stoned. It says in the book of Acts that when they stoned him, His life left his body and the church got around him and prayed. Now, some say that when he got stoned in the book of Acts, that's when he got caught up to the third heaven to see and hear things that no one has ever heard or seen. But again, we don't know for sure. But what we do know is that when they prayed for him, that brother got back up. I've never been stoned before. I know it hurts. He got back up and went back into the town where they stoned him. Now, that's a strong individual. You can't run around the then known world on different ships and walking and people chasing after you and trying to kill you and not be strong. That was a great asset. But at times it was also a liability because he had trouble turning it down at times. You know, man, his, his forehead, like a prophet, has to be hard. And that's what God said about Ezekiel and Jeremiah. I'm going to make your forehead hard because you got to headbutt some spirits. But sometimes prophets don't know how to turn it down so that we don't headbutt people who are on our side. Paul and Barnabas had some friction over ministry. And Paul is like, John Mark ain't going with us. He quit last time. And his eyes were bugging when he said it. He quit last time. Because Paul's strong. He's like, no, no, he quit on us. He'll quit again. 
Barnabas had a different approach. No, let's bring them along. No, no, no. And they split. What if Paul had turned it down a little bit? Paul, I know you, you, you man, you out here facing some stuff. You, you're our leader. But dude, turn it down a little bit. Especially in these kind of situations where you're trying to decide what the church should do. And as I look at the text, I see myself in the text. That uh, like Paul, my, one of my assets is also a liability. God's given me the gift of prophecy. I'm a challenger. I'm bold. I will speak the truth to whomever, whenever, wherever. Especially dealing with social injustice and racism. You know, he just put some things in me that I didn't ask for. He gave me this thing to stand on the word of God and to lead with passion. And there's no way that he could have allowed me to do the things I'm doing unless he gave me some strength to be a trailblazer, to lead a church in Williamson County for 18 years with the history of racism that it has. But for us to have a multiracial church for all of those years, there had to be some headbutting that was going on, some things that had to be done. But I am learning and I am growing. You know, it's good to have a challenger behind the pulpit, but it's not always good to have a challenger in the staff meeting. Everything is not always about, we got to go. Sometimes you got to wait for people to get to where you are as a visionary. These are things I'm learning because, man, that's a strength, but it's also at times a liability. And I want to ask the people of Strong Tower to pray for me about that. Pray for me. And I want to apologize for times where I've been too, and I haven't been sensitive and haven't slowed down enough. But I want to ask you, how is this true in your life? What's your asset in the kingdom? You know, some of us have the gift of administration. But if we're not careful, it can turn into control and become a liability. Or you may have the gift of mercy, and that's an asset to the kingdom. But if you're not careful, it can turn into a liability, and you want to coddle people and try to fix everything for everybody because you've got mercy, and you try to step in and act as if you're Christ. But he doesn't need you to step in and act like you're Christ. He's Christ. He just wants you to serve Whatever your strength is, it has the propensity to turn on its side and be a liability. Discerning spirits can turn into judgmentalism. So all of us, all of us are prone to this. Well, secondly, and by the way, by the way, Paul kept trying to say, look, it ain't about me. But, you know, there was somebody that went up to heaven uh, about 14 years ago. I don't know who it was. Um, but this guy that y'all are trying to disrespect, he went up to heaven and saw, heard things that are inexpressible. Uh, uh, I, I won't talk about myself, but I'll talk about that man. Paul, you're talking about yourself. <laughs> he was human. And so because of all these surpassing great revelations, God said, I got to knock you down a little bit. I need you to walk with a limp and not be pimping up in here. <laughs> Secondly, the response to the thorn All right, look at verses 8 and 9. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
So the response to the thorn, Paul's first response to this thorn is, I'm pleading. Take it away, take it away, take it away. I'm just not praying about it. I'm pleading about it. And it's a word that the King James Version will even translate beseech or besought. Breaking on down, it means that you were begging God. Now, I know some of us, you know, we're king's kids and all that, and we don't beg to the father. He loves us. But I'm talking about when you're going through something. And you're like, God, help. Your prayers have exclamation points all over them. And he's begging God. And he said, Lord, I, I know you won't leave me. And I refuse to let you go. And if I have to beg and plead for your sympathy, I don't mind. Because you mean that much to me. Ain't too proud to beg. Sweet Jesus. The millennials in the room don't know what just happened. (laughs) That was the temptations. When you pray over and over and over about something, it hurts. Three times here, and what this means is this was Paul's Gethsemane moment. Keep living long enough. You're going to go through a Gethsemane moment. If the Lord wills, we'll talk about that next week, but we're probably not even going to get through this. But when you're in something... And you even take your closest friends with you, but they can't go with you down this path. It's just you and God and you're pleading and you're begging, Lord, help me with this or I'm going to die. He's pleading. So God answers prayer. Yes, no, or wait. So God's answer to Paul was, I'm not taking it away. At least not now. We don't know if he took it away later because we don't even know for sure what it was. But in Paul's mind, when you read his progression in this text, it doesn't even matter whether or not God took it away. Because something happened with him and God in that experience in Gethsemane. Those times where he said, God, take it. And God says, no, what I am going to give you is my grace. And my grace is sufficient for you. No, my grace is enough for you. You came to me talking about this, this thorn, this pain. But I want to talk to you about grace. Matter of fact, you've been talking too much about this and not enough about this. You've been saying, oh, this thorn hurts. It's like getting pricked by a needle. You know, when we were smaller... We didn't like needles. I know that now that we're older, we can handle needles. Can I get an amen? (laughs) But you take your kid to get a needle, and they're crying because they know what's about to happen. It's going to hurt. But the doctor, Dr. Ron Chisel, and all my other doctors here, you've got to do your job and help that child. Because if you don't stick this child You know, it's going to hurt. But in the same thing that brings the pain is the same thing that has healing within it. Uh, A couple people got that. 
So the pain comes in order to produce healing. But the kids still don't want to hear that. So what a good doctor does is distract the kid from the pain by giving the kid grace called a lollipop. Oh, you didn't hear what I said. You didn't hear what I said. Because if you can get your mind off of this long enough to suck on the lollipop, the grace from and the sugar and all the nutrients that come, not nutrients, but all the stuff that comes from a lollipop will make you forget pain. We focus on the thorn, but God's got grace. You see, grace, and I'll finish with this, is not learned from a book. <laughs> grace is not learned in a sermon. Grace is not learned in a lecture, in a classroom, where you get class credit for it. No, grace is experienced in pain, in despair, in failure, in shame, in bankruptcy. Grace is experienced in darkness, in a pit, in a dungeon, in a valley. That's why there's no other word for grace but amazing. And God wants to take us from head knowledge to experiential knowledge with grace. We know about a saving grace. Thank you, God, for saving me by grace. But we got to learn about keeping grace. You won't know about it unless you're up in something that only he can get you through. You see, with grace, you finally realize that God's got you. No matter what you're going through. When you think about the grace of God that is sufficient, that is enough, you say, he's got me even though everything around me is falling apart. He's got me and praise God, I got him. But it's more important that he's got me. My grace is enough for you. Thank you, Jesus. That's what grace does. With grace, God chose you and decided to use you in spite of all of your flaws. If he was looking for a perfect vessel, he couldn't find any of us down here. But he uses us because his grace has the ability to superabound over shortcomings and sin and flaws. So that when people see the vessel that's filled with grace and the power of God, they don't give glory to the cracked, broken, chipped vessel. They give glory to the one that is using the chipped, cracked, broken vessel. So it's only by grace that any of us can do anything for God. And with grace, God accepts you, so it doesn't even matter who rejects you. Paul, I know people don't like you, but I like you. I love you. And it ought to be enough for you. Grace has a way of making you secure. Grace has a way of saying, okay, all right, I'm going to be honest about my flaws. Because if, when I don't understand grace, I don't want to be honest about my shortcomings. Because if I really understand grace and that he loves me in spite of my flaws, I can be honest about my flaws. And even like he says later, I'm going to boast about my flaws. Now you in a whole nother place when you start boasting about the stuff that's jacked up about you. You talk about security. With grace, 
all pain is redemptive and has an expiration date. It's not going to last always. And he's either going to deal with it here or he's going to deal with it there. You'll either get a crown for enduring through that bad marriage, enduring through that tough physical situation that's challenged your health and your faith. And, and what I love when people have been visited with grace and you go see them in a hospital and you walk in thinking that you got to lift them up. I don't know if y'all know where I'm about to go with this, but those people who've been visited by the grace of God through the pain of the sickness end up encouraging you more than you could ever encourage them and it was nothing but the grace of God upon them because they knew that this sickness does not determine their destiny and you don't know that unless you're on a sick bed somewhere so God is like I gotta send you through something so that you and I can experience this grace that you stop even thinking about the thorn with grace God sees the best in you. God's strength is made perfect in your weaknesses. I'll stop right there. I'll stop right there. But I'm going to pray for us right now that we'll be people who will run to and receive the grace of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. we get nothing else today may we be reminded that there's enough grace for us there's enough grace for our flaws for our fears for our sins for any and everything we're going through thank you for Paul's humility and thank you for your plan to provide in scripture the strugglings of a great man of God that he was not immune nor exempt from suffering. Even suffering that may have come about because of his pride. But I thank you that even in the midst of that, Paul's sin and the devil's activity, you were still protecting and superintending everything to get your servant where you wanted him to be, and that's in the throne room of grace. Thank you for being that kind of God. We love you and we praise you. We worship you. We honor you. We adore you. There is none like you. Pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We'll pick up on this next week. You guys ready? You cool?